Hello and welcome to Pulp Today. Our beverage for today is going to be uh, Saurian brandy in a Chateau Picard glass. Mmm. Uh, those lizards don't really know what they're doing with alcohol. And uh, <laughs> that should clue you in that today we're going to talk about Star Trek for a couple of reasons. One of them is that Star Trek Strange New Worlds premiered. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And in a lot of ways, it was the first Star Trek to bring back sort of that original 1969 feeling with some of the baggage from the period ejected helpfully out an airlock. Um, it's a it's a really terrific show, and I really enjoyed it. But also within the last couple of weeks, James Bama died, one of the great pulp cover... Um, paperback cover artists of all time and the first man ever to paint a Star Trek poster. This was the teaser poster for the series. You see we got Captain Kirk, we got we got Mr. Spock, we got the lithium tracking uh, cracking station on Delta Vega, we got the Enterprise shooting uh, rocket trails out the back, and we got poor old Lee Kelso right there behind Mr. Spock who uh, who doesn't survive even his very first second second Star Trek adventure uh, poorly anyway once upon a time there wasn't a lot of science fiction in the world the way there is now and you were a weirdo and an outsider I'm not telling you anything you don't know if you loved it and Star Trek went off the air in 1969 when I was a tender age of four pretty sure my parents watched it I remember being scared by the end credits, the salt monster from the first aired episode from the Man Trap, and the head of the fake head of Baylock from the Corbomite Maneuver. Yeah, I can do that all day, man. I can do the titles all day. Both scared me as a child, so I didn't watch it. At the end of last year, I also lost my brother, and my brother, my half brother, was someone who was a big part of introducing me to Star Trek. So I've also been thinking about that. And so you had the series that ended in 69. There are 79 episodes. You can watch them 300 times in syndication, but it is all the same thing. So another way to experience Star Trek back in the beginning is the paperback book series. Uh, the stories are adapted by James Blish. A lot of times they are very clearly first drafts and nothing like what got filmed. It's odd to me that by the time... Like, here's the second one. When is this? 1968. So this is pretty contemporary with the episodes. But he kept writing them until uh, his death, pretty much. And towards the end, when he was in ailing health, his wife, J.A. Lawrence? K.A. Lawrence? I'm very sorry, Widow Blish, if I'm getting your last name, if you're, I'm getting your initials wrong. But this was it for Star Trek. You, you know, you until the animated series, you basically had the making of Star Trek book, which was about the making of the TV series, which I think a lot of people of my generation who went into television, that was the first time they saw a call sheet, the first time they saw a production schedule or a layout blueprint of a set. It's very instructional stuff. David Gerald wrote a couple of books about Star Trek, The World of Star Trek, and The Trouble with Tribbles, The Making of The Trouble with Tribbles. But these were the actual original adventures written by a, a good, solid science fiction writer. 
had success outside of Star Trek in his own right. And uh, that was it for your enjoyment of Star Trek. And then the animated series, and that Alan Dean Foster does novelizations of the animated series, and those are actually very good. They're, they're almost... There's so little material in them from the shows that they're almost really great original Star Trek novels. Blish himself planned to go forward with original Star Trek novels and wrote one called Spock Must Die. The first whole bunch of original Star Trek novels that were not based on the movie, before the movies came out and not based on the TV series directly, were all very Spock-centric because Spock was, you know, the center of the craze. I, by the way, I should confess, I considered wearing this in today's episode, but I have a modicum of self-control. I think that garment entered my life when I was 12 years old. I believe a friend got it for me at a convention, and at the conven- when I was 12, it hung off my gangly, young teenage-ness very loosely. The sleeves went past my fingertips, all of that kind of thing. When I put it on now... It clings to me in a very Bill Shatner third season hasn't quite got the girdle worked out yet uh, kind of a way. Uh, so I do occasionally wear it to a costume party or whatever. But all that said, I wanted to read something to you. I looked over what I had. I actually was missing a few, and I think probably that means I read them from the library when I was a kid. As we've discussed before, after you've read it, swap it for credit. There we, go. there we go. After you've read it, swap it for credit. The book swap, Milltown, New Jersey, where I worked and clearly swiped this copy of Star Trek II. I wanted to read an iconic scene from Space Seed, the episode with Khan. You can kind of tell, you know, that it's a first draft. A lot of this dialogue went away by showtime. A lot of it got honed into something a little better. Um... The actors may have molded some of it, um, but the the meat of the scene is here, and it's a it's one of my uh, favorite scenes in original Star Trek, just because of the 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 mental that it's a, a it's it's a fight scene where nobody says any where nobody hits anybody, but everybody does it with words, which is actually addressed by the characters in the scene. Over the brandy. Hmm. Over the brandy, it suddenly turned out at least one officer of the Enterprise was not prepared to recognize charm, even if you were hit over the head with it. Spock said, But you still have not told us why you decided on star travel, Commander Khan, nor how you managed to keep it out of the records. Adventure, Mr. Spock. There was little else left to be accomplished on Earth. There was the overthrow of the eugenics tyrannies, Spock said. Many men considered that a worthwhile effort. A waste of spirit in a desert of shame, Khan said. There was much that was noble about the eugenics crusade. It was the last grand attempt to unify humanity, at least in my time. Like a team of horses under one harness, one whip. I refuse to take offense, Mr. Spock, Khan said genially. Much can be accomplished by a team. It was a time of great dreams, great aspirations. Great aspirations under petty dictatorships, never in previous history at least. I disagree, Khan said. One man, not many, would eventually have ruled, as in Rome under Augustus. And see what you've accomplished, Captain Kirk. You understand me well. You let your second-in-command attack, and through me, you, yet you remain 
silent and watch for weakness, a sound principle. You have a tendency, Kirk said, to express your ideas in military terms, Commander Khan. This is a social occasion. It has been said, Khan said easily, that social occasions are only warfare concealed. Many prefer their warfare more honest and open. There was open warfare on Earth, Kirk said, yet it appears that you fled it. Not much can be done with a nearly destroyed world. In short, Spock said, you were afraid. Khan's eyes flashed. I have never been afraid. And that does not frighten you? How? I don't understand you, Mr. Spock. How can a man be afraid of never being afraid? It's a contradiction in terms. Not at all, the first officer said. It is a null class in the class of all classes, not members of the given class. Khan was now beginning to look angry. Kirk, secretly a little amused, interposed. I'm sorry, Commander, but you just pushed Mr. Spock's logic button, which has a tendency to make him incomprehensible for the next ten minutes or so. Nevertheless, I think his question a good one. You say you've never been afraid, yet you left at the very time mankind most needed courage. Courage. How can one impart courage to sheep? I offered the world order. Order. And what happened? They panicked. I left behind nothing worth saving. Then, Spock said, do you imagine that this ship, to take a simple example, was built by sheep out of panic? I do not further impugn your logic, Commander Khan, but I am beginning to mistrust your eyesight. Marla, who had been completely silent since the start of the discussion, stood up so suddenly that the coffee slopped in saucers all the way around the table. I never thought, she said in a trembling voice, that I'd ever see so much rudeness to a starship guest. Was I rude? Spock said mildly, raising his eyebrows. If so, I apologize. And I said Kirk, repressing another grin. I quite accept your apologies, Khan said, also rising. But if you will excuse me, gentlemen and ladies, I am tired. It has been a good many centuries, and I would like to return to my quarters. If you would guide me back, Marla. They went out, followed at a very slight motion of the head from Kirk, by every other guest but Spock. When the room was empty, Kirk said, and McCoy calls me a fair psychologist. I've never seen a better needling job in my life, Mr. Spock. I myself am not very happy with it, Captain, the first officer said. The human half of my makeup seems to go to sleep just when I need it the most. Consider, really, how little we have learned. The man's name, Sibal Khan Nunian. From 1992 through 1996, military chieftain of a quarter of your world from South Asia through the Middle East, and the last of the tyrants to be overthrown and apparently very much admired, as such men go. There was very little freedom under his rule, but also there were no massacres, no war, until he was attacked by a lesser dictator of his own breed, a man of power who understands the uses of power, and who should have been much admired by the people whom he calls sheep, the people who feel more comfortable being led. And you got all that just from what he said tonight. I would say that's considerable. It's not what we need to know, Spock insisted. The main question is, why did he run away? That was what I was hoping to elicit from him. But he caught me at it. I do not call that very good psychology. I see what you mean, Kirk said reflectively. Until we know that, we can't know what he might intend now, or what risks we might run in reviving the other seventy or so of them. We will have to just try another gambit, but there's one other thing. 
What was the point of that question about being afraid, of never having been afraid? I thought for a moment that I saw where you were driving at, and then you lost me in your logical technicalities. Isn't the question what you would call a tautology? No, Captain, but I was trying to make it look like one. I was not trying to confuse you, certainly, but Commander Khan, and I hope that at least there, I succeeded. Fear is an essential reaction to the survival of any sentient creature. If he does not know fear, he never knows when it is sensible to run, and yet, Commander Khan ran. Since he claims never have felt fear, for what other reason can he have had? Hmm, Kirk said. I have never seen a single sentient creature that didn't feel fear when it was appropriate. Yet he was very convincing on that point. Indeed he was, Spock said, and Captain. That scares me. Nothing Spock had ever said before had quite so stunned Kirk. As he stared at his first officer, the vacated, somehow sadly messy scene of the formal dinner suddenly rang with the alarm to general quarters. Oh, Khan. <laughs> I spared you the uh, Montalban impression. I also often talk about the things you find in old books and what I found in my copy of Star Trek I as a placeholder, as a bookmark, was this. I'm pretty sure I cut this off the box of this model kit AMT used to make. I never bought the full-size Klingon ship, but they made a set where you could get the Enterprise and a Romulan ship and the Bird of Prey and a Klingon battlecruiser, and they were all about yay big. And this was from off of that box. That is it for uh, Star Trek, the novels by James Blish. There are thousands of Star Trek novels now. I remember distinctly a time in the 80s when I read one that was not very good. And I was the first time as a devoted, focused, fanatic fan that I went, I don't have to read all of these. <laughs> I, can, I can get through life not knowing what happens in this particular paperback by this author. And uh, that was a freeing thing. Uh, they're still great Star Trek novels out there. I recommend the work of a friend of mine named Greg Cox, which is excellent. He's covered Khan quite uh, expansively in his work. Uh, till next time, read a little Star Trek and boldly go. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.